Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be investigating hidden secrets in your Akashic room. Working with the Akashics is a conversation. It's not all in your head, only part of it is just like any other conversation you have during the day. Part of the conversation is formed of things you think of and then make physical by vocalizing them, or, in the deaf community, by signing them. And then the other party or parties reciprocate. Wash, rinse, repeat. So there are a minimum of two persons involved in any conversation, in each party uses a two-step process to form the communication. They think, and then they say. The two-part process exists in an even broader context when working with the Akashics, but most people don't recognize this and therefore don't act on it. A conversation with the Akashics has two parties, you and the beings you're communicating with. And within the conversation, you think and then act, they think and then act. Wash, rinse, repeat. But in the broader context, those working in the Akashics are doing so in order to find answers to existing questions or situations. Beings in the Akashics, those who look like people or animals and those who don't, agree to work with embodied beings to help us find the answers even if they are seemingly silly or shallow. Once an answer is given, the next step is to implement it, because the answer is rarely something only relevant in the Akashics, in the same way the questioner and their life are not solely relevant in the Akashics. The answer is about the entirety of the person, which includes this life. So the answer applies to this life now. How does someone apply the answer? I liken this to the concept of as above, so below. If what a student found, figured out, experienced was relevant there, it's relevant here and should be put into process here in some fashion. For example, in Native American culture, spirituality is not something separate from everyday life, which is why, to my knowledge, None of our languages have a word for spirituality or religion. We just call it life. So when it's time to make something, we fashion it with, through, or because of our spirituality. First, we communicate with our guides, with the all that is, and ask for inspiration or vision concerning how it should be made. This includes not only structure, but decoration, means of storing it how it should be handled, and so on. This information comes from the Akashics, is related to us through vision, inspiration, and ceremony, then honored as we translate it into the finished object. When we see a vision, have a dream, or journey to find an answer, the knowledge is coming from the Akashics. And once we have it, we set out to manifest that vision in the physical world. 
Whether this is for a building, a prayer stick, a staff, a bowl, a medicine wheel, a car, or whatever, we seek to manifest it here. Which does a couple of things. It builds positive relationship between the person and the Akashics. Because no one likes to have conversations where the other party doesn't listen to you, but constantly asks you questions. It's frustrating and pointless. Second, it brings this beautiful, loving Akashic energy into being here in a concrete and conscious way, which benefits all of us short-term and long-term. So when I'm working with students and they see objects in the Akashics which are meant specifically for them, I suggest they sort out the meaning of the object. Because sometimes it's a symbol, sometimes it's a message, Sometimes it's a completion of a process that started long ago. But sometimes it's a gift, and something that should be brought into your life. If it's a stone, I recommend going to look for it in the physical world, even if you have to buy it. Because it wants to be in your life, and unlike a pet, it can't wander there on its own. If what you see is a crafted item, you can look for it, ask someone to make it for you, or craft it yourself. Because you are meant to have it, even if it just sits around gathering dust. Okay, you can get in the habit of dusting it regularly, but the object radiates for you. It gives you something you need, which may be comfort, laughter, inspiration, and that's worth a little effort, isn't it? It can sometimes take effort just to discern what is personal message when exploring the Akashics, and what is general information. The majority of Akashic explorations any person, adept, or novice will undertake will be in public spaces. The Akashic Library is a major destination spot, as it's best known of anything or any place in the Akashics, and holds so much that is relevant and translatable into embodied life. But there's also the Temple of Life, and the rest of the Akashic City, the Realm of Mentors, the First Forest, the Hedge Maze, the Fields of Personal Endeavors, the Villages and Homes of Beings in all of their splendorous diversity, and so much more. All of these explorations teach us about ourselves And many of these journeys are guided, so they're specifically relevant to us in our becoming. Yet there are very few places in the Akashics which are unique to each individual soul. One such place is the individual room that each person has. A place where only they can go unless they give permission for others to join them. This is the room which I have my students first encounter in their journeys to the Akashics. Most students simply see this room as a landing pad, an aspect of the Akashics which is generic in its construction, like a hallway or a foyer. They note it in passing, accept what it has as generic to the space, and move through it as quickly as possible to get to their actual goal. What they rarely note unless they're reading students' posts in the class forum, is each room is as unique as the student who uses it. 
each one while having the number of doors which I indicate in the meditations, and having them oriented in the directions I point, is both a portrait of the individual and who they are in the moment, as well as a place where the Akashics can highlight what is most important for the individual to know or recognize or learn. Some students' rooms never change. They are a comforting place which matches their concept of the perfect room, and each visit allows the person to relax and enter more fully into the Akashic experience. For others, the room becomes the goal of the Akashic journey, and they don't move far from it for weeks or months because there's so much there to learn and take in and become. For them, the room changes each time, sometimes changing furniture or color scheme or construction, sometimes playing out a series of events like episodes of a TV show, each session another piece of the story arc, each picking up exactly where the last left off. What is important to know is nothing in an individual's room is accidental or without meaning. Each item, each color, each window shape, each lighting fixture is a message, is part of the conversation they enter into when they work in the Akashics. I've seen rooms which are like something out of a romance novel, wood floors, heavy Tudor wood furniture, red velvet and silk everything, tapestries and heavy scents and luxury everywhere you look. In other rooms, things can be almost bare except for whitewashed wood floors, light blue walls, and windows open with flowing white sheer curtains blowing in the breeze. Some rooms are furnished with multiple seating areas for various purposes, including chairs in front of a fireplace, formal dining room tables, and reclining couches, while others appear to be stone cottages like you'd find in Ireland or parts of England. The room matches the person, but it's important we be careful not to link the room's appearance too tightly to their personality, like some kind of psychological test. Each person's Akashic room can and does serve a variety of purposes at any given time. It most definitely reflects the personality of the individual, but it also reflects things in their life which are less essential. The room can be offering a message rather than reflecting personality traits. It might be responding to needs of the moment, to burning questions which we've been holding on to, or trying to get us to acknowledge things we've been saying, I'll get around to it. I've not yet found a room that presents a round to it, to its person, but this doesn't mean it hasn't happened, or perhaps it just hasn't happened yet. Some rooms are sarcastic, and several I've encountered have wicked senses of humor. So when working with your Akashic room, take note of what you see, or note if you have difficulty seeing things, and start to spend time acknowledging what it has to say and what it provides. One of the secret facets of these rooms is the changes can be dramatic, such as when the room is presenting a message, and once this is received, the room changes completely to a different one. Another secret is the changes can be very subtle. 
I've watched students who return to their rooms often, and each time one small thing has been added. One thing might have been moved or subtly changed in color. The lighting has shifted. All of which is significant, but easily missed if the person isn't looking for it. Akashic rooms have other qualities which can be handy for the Akashic student or explorer. Most people exploring the Akashics feel like they themselves are a visitor instead of remembering that this is their home. They feel like a stranger in a strange land everywhere they go within it. So when they consider working with beings in the Akashics, they think traveling to where those beings reside is what's required. Once a student becomes comfortable with their room, it can serve as a home base and a place where they can invite Akashic beings to come and interact. It can be a great place to meet and work with guides or healers, to work with animal guides or totems, or to request a mentor in some specific aspect they're working with. Providing hospitality and having a familiar place can be efficacious in working with these beings as well as being able to relax and more fully participate in the conversation and learning. As beings can only enter the room with the individual's permission, it can provide privacy and comfort, which is especially helpful when dealing with emotionally difficult subjects. One thing to remember is beings in the Akashics are much like embodied people and should be treated with the same level of respect. Just as you wouldn't summon a friend to your house and demand of them that they pay concentrated attention on you to the exclusion of all else and then leave when dismissed, please don't attempt to summon Akashic beings. It's respectful to invite them or request their presence. And when or if they arrive, it's good to remember they too have lives and do not exist solely to cater to your needs. Saying the magic words please and thank you is also a good policy. There's so much the Akashics can help us unfold and explore if we're willing to take the time and open ourselves to the experience. And your room in the Akashics is your own personal workspace. What adventures will you find there? And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be digging into how to read and understand the symbolic information in the Akashics. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thanks. Bye.